Hi, this is Martin Coburn, and welcome to another podcast from Natural Direction. In this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the all-important subject of pitching, whether that be to external clients or even in internal presentations inside your own organization. I'm joined today, I'm very pleased to say, by Ian McKenzie. Say hello, Ian. Hello. Uh, Ian and I have been working together over the last 10 years, in fact, uh, beyond that, but certainly the last 10 years at Natural Direction. And our coming together really was cemented by the fact that we had a client who came to us, and it was a large technology client, who came to us and said, look, Martin, we're really not winning our fair share of clients, not because we have an inferior product or service, but we're simply not making the best account of ourselves in those final pitch presentations. Could you help us with this? So we and a number of other organizations put together um, a pitch, and I'm pleased to say we won that pitch, and here we are 10 years later, having delivered this program to now over 1,500 people in different parts of the, of the world, and to great success. Not only that, and we have worked alongside them on live bid presentations, which is really where you really start to learn about the art um, of pitching. Ian, perhaps you could give a very quick uh, introduction to yourself and what your experience is in, in regards to pitching. Okay, I go back, I go back far enough. I worked uh, in the city, in the financial world, I came to a conclusion probably in my 30s that I was more interested in people than numbers um, and found myself working shortly afterwards in a consultancy business whereby, uh, happy coincidence, um, I ended up under the tutelage of the guy that captained the Sydney Olympic bid, the successful one for 2000. And I learned about the fundamentals of pitching. I learned about the art of seeing the deal from the decision-maker side of the table and how to influence that towards a successful outcome. Went back, worked in the Northern Hemisphere, based in London, on bids around Europe in property, construction, infrastructure, pharmaceuticals, IT, and obviously the financial world. Um, And I suppose developed the necessary skills to understand the mechanics of putting together and delivering a successful bid presentation. So what we'd like to cover in this podcast is perhaps to talk a little bit about where we see some of the changes and the emphasis in terms of what clients require when it comes to pitching. What do they want to see? What do they want to hear? What styles, what trends are happening that are working? The second thing is perhaps to look at some of the common pitfalls or mistakes that people can fall into, how we can avoid those. And talk a little bit about some of the strategies that we know, that we've tried and tested, that we've worked with clients, and then maybe we can share some of those that you as the listener can go and apply those in your everyday work. And finally, some top tips that you can use to apply in both your internal and external presentations. So firstly, let's just have a look at where do we feel some of the changes where are some of the trends when it comes to pitching let's start with i suppose we've just been through and for many of us still in a recession and i think one of the things that we've both observed is is that clients are more cautious uh, they're less likely to invite people they aren't uh, pretty much certain could do the job 
um, into a pitch presentation. And I think where there is an incumbent on the job, the devil you know, that that incumbent, I think, has been more successful in these times of recession uh, in retaining their position than a new firm has of knocking them off. I think a second thing that's emerged uh, with greater experience on the buying side of pitch presentations in the last, certainly the last 10 years, is the fact that successful bids are the ones that identify not only the rational aspects of the issue at hand, but also the emotional issues that the decision makers bring with them and the political and cultural issues that are prevalent within the organisation that ultimately is making the decision. Mm. So, Which, quite frankly, are not always articulated in the RFP. Well, very rarely mm. articulated in mm. the RFP. The RFP sticks to the facts, mm. the timescales, the cost, the requirements, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and they're very rarely articulated, if ever. So therefore, it's your job to try and discover them as part of your preparation process for a bit. Mm. I think one other, a third thing would be that clients are making decisions more by the feeling of compatibility. Yeah. Would you agree? And that comes through demonstrating understanding. It's a bit like a doctor. A doctor doesn't diagnose without performing a thorough examination and doing tests or x-rays or so on. And once they have all the information in front of them, then they're able to use their expertise to make a diagnosis. And you're far more willing to accept their diagnosis on that basis. The better you understand me as a decision maker, the more likely I am to believe that that understanding will lead to a better outcome. Mm. And so more than anything in the last few years, that ability to demonstrate that I understand the situation at a rational, political, and a cultural, and an emotional level, the more likely you are to win that decision. And, that, and that's not just regurgitating what they've told you. No, far because because that, that, that is kind of predictable, it's a bit dull, it's expected, and probably everyone else is doing exactly the same. No point telling me something I know already. What I prefer is a couple of other things. It's number one, tell me something that I don't know that's interesting or useful to me. Bring me some insight, bring me some wisdom based on your experience or your knowledge. But secondly, and equally important, reassure me that you understand what it is like to be me today making this decision. Because that will reassure me that I can work with you, that you are compatible with me. Because that, that, that raises an interesting point for me, that I think that clients don't typically express, certainly implicitly, their own concerns. They're not going to lay to bear their own fears and worries or concerns, are they? No, I don't think a client's ever going to do that. I, I, I think that, that, that for each individual, they're going to be different. They're typically quite personal, um, uh, and, and increasingly they're seen as a sort of a sign of weakness or something. So it's the last thing I'm going to do is concede what my concerns or worries or fears or weaknesses are. Yet the failure to address those is the very thing that can actually cost you the business. Exactly. Or the very thing, if you get it right, that can win you the business, mm, particularly absolutely. when you are competing yeah. with... Quite frankly, people who, at least from my point of view as a decision maker, Mm. you're all pretty damn similar Mm. from a competence point of view. You've Mm. proved that in your written proposals and your track record. So I'm now trying to choose between company A, company B, and company C. All of them are pretty damn good. They could Mm. do it. How do I make that decision? Mm. Well, that decision is increasingly tipped over the finishing line in your favor Mm. by identifying those uh, emotional, political, and cultural issues 
specific to that bit. I mean, we might want to prefer that people would make a perfectly logical decision based on fact and data and reality. Uh, that doesn't happen. Very rarely happens. And they're unlikely to articulate that reason to you. But, so it's, this, this is, I think, an area that people do fail on quite often. They fail to recognise the importance of really uncovering um, those sort of hidden fears. And that, and that is, if you've, if you've done that, and you've done it particularly well, and, you, and you're, you're respectful to that, you play that back to the client, that shows a much deeper level of understanding. It goes way beyond what people are requesting in the RFP. Yeah. What I don't really want to do is listen to a bunch of salesmen preaching the virtues of their own business. What I'd rather listen to is someone that's bothered to take the time to understand my business and potentially, with the passage of time and experience, could become a valuable business partner. That's what I'm really looking for. Yeah. Not the best salesman. What would you say about the... My sense is that people we're seeing kind of a movement away, as much as we're here talking about pitching and talking about the importance of that final presentation. I think the reality is, though, we're seeing a trend away from that. I think we're seeing additional factors being brought into the decision-making process. And I think, you know, you and I have seen literally in the last six months a bid process whereby... Um, non-business-related issues were an intrinsic part of that process. For example, um, a bid where the, the day following the presentations, that the firms that were presenting each came in and spent time socially. I think one was a dinner and one was a lunch and one was a breakfast, in fact, for an hour or two with the clients. No suits, no formal glossy presentations, no slides, no brochures. We sit around, we eat, we talk, we discuss. I've also seen processes where a whole day has been spent where the bidders have gone and uh, spent time with the clients in their offices at their factory or even at a social function and what the client's trying to get to there is to understand over and above the rational i know you're good at audit or it or construction or whatever it may be but what are you like as people because i'm going to be spending a lot of time and a lot of money with you if i choose you for quite a few years, and my career will be affected by that. So I want to make sure I'm choosing the right people. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, pretty much anybody can be trained and polished and rehearsed into a glossy, credible presentation. Absolutely. You don't, you don't get to see the real person. Exactly. You know, that you, you would expect, if there are multi-million pounds worth of revenue at stake, yeah. you would expect them to rehearse into the early hours of the morning to make sure they've got a polished presentation. I hope so. And, and, and that certainly, that, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't reveal really what these people, what you're really like to work with. Now, a common theme between those two things, uh, and I think overall what we're seeing as a trend in pitching, is, is, is a movement amongst the successful pitchers towards a more honest and realistic approach. The honesty around understanding the situation, the honesty around your own... Uh, the, personal qualities, hence the social functions, but also an honesty and a bravery around having the courage to uh, bring into the presentation and have the conversation about those issues from both sides. So for me, the better firms are the ones that have not only the skill to be able to put that together, but also the courage to be able to deliver those kind of messages. Are you, are you talking about you know, bringing real-life stories where things have gone wrong, 
potentially. Potentially having the courage to. I mean, we all know things go wrong. You know, eighty percent of any job will go fine. Twenty percent will go wrong. That's an almost universal thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows so, that. So tell me you've been there. Tell me what happened. Tell yeah, me how you overcame it. Maybe it wasn't even your fault, but it was an unexpected thing or an unaccountable thing or something changed or something happened. But the point is, is that you managed it through. Yeah, reassure me that no matter what comes along, that as a human being with all the foibles attached to it and the unexpected incidences in life. We can get there. Okay, maybe let's talk a little bit about turn our attention to where some of the, and we may have touched on some of these already, but, you know, where are the the common mistakes that perhaps uh, pitch teams make uh, in in the process? Some of the pitfalls. Uh, let me think of some of the more obvious things. And number one, I think that the discipline of the small d the ability to set aside time to do the necessary work, both in terms of the research and preparation we've discussed already, but also the time required to put in for rehearsal uh, and so on, um, is, is often a, a difficulty that some firms struggle with. My question has always been, what are you doing if you're not available to rehearse or to work with us on this, putting together this presentation? What are you doing that's more valuable than 30 or 50 or 100 million pounds? And the answer is often something that isn't. It's a client meeting or it's administration and so on and so on and so forth. But that is definitely a a barrier that needs to be overcome. One of the advantages of of having someone like ourselves come as an external person is is that, uh, number one, we, we don't buy into those patterns of behavior. We have our eyes focused upon putting in the necessary work to achieve the outcome. Uh, but number two, also the fact that we've got an external person coming in who's being hired and paid for means that often people are more likely to turn up because they don't want to waste their money. Okay? Um, and so I think discipline is the first thing. Uh, what other pitfalls are we getting? I think people overlook the critical importance of the question and answer session mm. that typically follows 100%. the presentation. 100%. They're so focused upon doing a glossy presentation and not swallowing their own tongue or fainting or making a fool of themselves that they get to the end of the presentation and they're just delighted that nothing went disastrously wrong. Plop themselves down. Nobody's died. Everyone's lived. Everyone's still standing. Thank God we're done well. Exactly. <laughs> no, you've just started. <laughs> So you collapse into your chair and all of a sudden someone goes, I've got some difficult questions for you. Now, several dynamics operate in that situation. Number one, I'm probably going to ask you questions that should be predictable. And I can tell from your reaction and your your facial expression when I ask that question whether you're prepared and expecting that question. If you're not, it's not a good sign. But secondly, I want to see an answer which is as credible as that glossy presentation you just did. That answer needs to be comprehensive, it needs to be thorough, it needs to be backed up by evidence if required, and it needs to answer the question. I think a third aspect of the Q&A thing is, is often the client will say right at the end, what questions do you have for us? Mm. And I think Often catches people out. People yeah. get caught out by that, and they need to be asking a question which is demonstrates, I think, a couple of things. Number one, that they are, uh, they've done their homework, they really understand the business and they're perceptive. And that number two, their question indicates a focus upon achieving a better outcome for the client. So don't be asking them what their favorite color is or what their star sign is. You should be asking them something about their business or trends in the market or, or some aspect of, 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 of the process that 
they haven't given enough information on, which allows me to be better informed and do a better job for you. I think I completely support this. I think the Q&A is where you start to see the real side of somebody and you know, you're looking for you're looking for signs of comfort. You're looking for signs of you know how, you know can am I can I can this person relax into a conversation, mm-hmm. or do I feel they're answering my questions in a very guarded, crafted way, and steering me back to the, the to the grounds where they feel safe? So they're steering the answer back into to you know rather than opening up the conversation. Again, it comes back to that bravery thing. If you don't have the courage to step outside of your own comfort zone, if you keep steering it back to your areas mm. and your expertise and instead of stepping out and engaging with the client, having a conversation and running the apparent risk of not knowing the answer, then again, that absence of that bravery or that courage is something that will not help you. In and it's okay not to know the answer. It's, it, well, I wouldn't suggest you would... Do that too many times, but it's it's, it's fine if you don't know the answer. On every, you know, on, you know, if there are some answers you don't know, then be as confident in answering something you don't know the answer to to something you do know the answer to, and just be very direct and very honest with them, and say that deserves a better answer than I'm able to give you today. Uh, let me get back to you with some more information. Absolutely, no problem. That's no real. All the so perhaps one other pitfall that we might see is people not making it individual enough, not personalising it enough, being too generic in their approach when they're talking to clients. And again, it's a reflection of, 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 of being brave. Is that many people will rely upon um, familiar anecdotes or stories mm. or case studies that, that are comfortable to tell because they've done it many times. Um, they may also reflect well upon them as an individual um, and so on, but what they don't necessarily challenge themselves with in the, in the process of putting together the presentation is how does this have any relevance to the client's situation? How does this reassure the client? How does this get the client to a place where they go, you are clearly the obvious choice here? Why am I telling you this story? Precisely, because if I'm telling it because it's comfortable and it makes me look good, but it doesn't really bear any relevance to the situation that you're in. It is of no value. And again, it takes courage to come out of your comfort zone and talk about issues or talk about where things went wrong. But actually, they can often be a lot more powerful than tried and tested stories just being trotted out for the sake of it. It's a bit like that example you I've heard you tell about you know, people have got kids. And everyone thinks they've got the best and the brightest kids in the world. Ask any parent, you know, are, are your children above average? And they will say, well, of course they are. Mm. Uh, ask any parent, are your children you know, good looking? And every parent will say, yes, of course my children are good looking. I've got <laughs> beautiful above average children. I've never in my entire career met the parent of, a, of an unattractive below par child. <laughs> but by definition in mathematics, for every child that, that, that is above average, there must be a corresponding child below. Now, of course, we understand that, but and it's easy to laugh about, but it has a parallel in, in, in business in, in a pitch scenario, and that is this, is that whether it is true or not, every client that you are pitching, every decision maker that you are trying to persuade believes that their situation is unique mm. and special. And with the best will in the world, when you trot out a phrase like, well, we have many clients like you, it's no different from saying, well, your children are just like any others in my class as a teacher. It's well intended, 
but it lands badly. What you want to be doing is recognizing what the client believes makes them different or special with their product or service and honoring that. Whether it is true or not is irrelevant. The fact is they will not be dissuaded from it. So yeah, for me again, part of the research, part of being brave is about going out there and saying, this is how I see it and I'm going to have the courage to talk about this particular issue. Absolutely. As an individual. individual. Let's turn our attention now to perhaps some tips we can leave with people and some things that we know you and I have shared with clients that have got great success. One particular area that is certainly an increasing trend is the ability to tell a story. It's always been the case that people who are successful at pitching are able to turn data into a narrative. Um, But I think increasingly people are starting to recognize that if they want to differentiate themselves, that simply downloading data um, is not a way to win a bid. If it's just data you're going to send me, well, then email me a spreadsheet Mm. or email me a Word document with that data on, I'll read it and make my decision. But if you can take that data and transform it into something which has a narrative flow, that presentation becomes much more interesting. And don't forget that your presentation for an hour today plus a bit of Q&A is one of three or four that I'm sitting Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I can easily become bored uh, after two or three of them or one after lunch. Mm. So the person that steps out of the mold and, and, it, and turns the, the, the whole tale of what it is they are going to do mm. to make your take, situation take, you know, take, take me on a journey, get me to feel something, you know, get, get, get me going from my left brain into my right brain by talking about the journey, by talking about what I'm going to experience, what emotions am, am I likely to experience in this um, implementation or buying this particular product or service. Yeah, if you think about any your, your favourite book or your favourite film, <coughs> what you'll discover is, is that it wasn't so much the cinematography or the lighting or the prose or the narrative, it was how that book or how that film or that play or that theatre or that musical made you feel at the time and made you feel afterwards. Mm. You felt worried or concerned or mm. exuberant or delighted. Mystery, curiosity. Exactly. exactly. So, so the, the point about storytelling is, is that it transformed data, which is a rational matter-of-fact stuff, into something which is emotional, which is something that makes me feel. Now, I don't have to necessarily feel delighted at the end of it. I might feel concerned that if I don't do something, bad things will happen. But for God's sake, make me feel something. And the mechanism for doing that is storytelling. Absolutely. And there's quite, there's quite a lot of myth around, oh, storytelling is so difficult. I'm not particularly good at it. Um, I've never been a great storyteller. Yet every single day of the week, we're telling stories. We're talking about films we've seen, incidents that happened on the bus, things you saw on the TV, something that happened on holiday, we collect around the, the water cooler or the coffee machine at work and we're sharing stories. It's not something that is that difficult. We just have to tell a story in a slightly more meaningful way that lands a point. And that's a skill that definitely can be developed. And it's magical, magical, magical to see when a pitch team gets that right and the impact it has on the, on the client. Absolutely. And it's something that can be coached in as well. Um, you know, if, if anyone's sitting there saying, oh, I'm not a great storyteller, oh, I can't tell jokes and so on, uh, certainly in terms of the narrative uh, flow of a pitch, uh, it's something that can be created during the rehearsal process every time. Once the presentation definitely allows you to be in control, as we've discussed earlier in this podcast, it's the interaction between people 
is where the chemistry is built and the feeling of trust gets developed. So we need to move from less presentation into more conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, how do, we, how do we build that into our, our pictures? I, I think it's always a good idea to, to have or to create scenarios within your presentation where the client is involved in the conversation. You want their opinion, you want to, to engage in conversation, you want some kind of exchange, because if you just stand up there and download, it's not enough. Remember, I'm thinking about working with you for six months or six years and spending six million or 60 million or 600,000 or whatever it is. This is a serious decision. I want to know what it's like to work with you. So interacting with you and conversing with you and discussing and exchanging with you helps me understand that better. It informs me in terms of my decision. So for me, always try and build something like that. Mm. So getting into a conversation allows people come to come to their own conclusions. And by the way, people believe their own conclusions more than they believe any that you tell them in the presentation. Exactly. By interacting, not only what is said, but also what isn't said and how what is said is said allows me to infer and draw conclusions about you as a person. I take you off piece, Martin. I get you away from your well-rehearsed, your glossy presentation. I get you talking about something. I engage with you, and I see how you react, whether you're comfortable, whether you're panicking, whether one person, in the Q&A, for example, whether one person dominates the Q&A, or whether everyone has something to say and contributes to it. Mm. All those sorts of interactions allow me to draw uh, conclusions, about you as people. And that, as I keep saying, a very important part of how the decision gets made. Perhaps a few other tips that we could perhaps leave our audience with today, some some simple things to apply and think about. One would be certainly about meeting deadlines. Even better, beating deadlines. Beating deadlines, indeed. Uh, uh, um, Certainly at the written proposal stage, what I often see is is that firms are told, you know, the deadline is 6 o'clock on a Friday evening. And, and some of them will even struggle to get it in on time for that. And it's not like they didn't know that. Well, they knew it six or eight weeks ago, but it'll still go in at 6.01 or 5.59.59. My first piece of advice is this, is get it in on the Wednesday. Because then there's a chance on the Thursday or the Friday, and you'll certainly be the first, that they'll actually read the damn thing. Well, anything that arrives on Friday at 6 o'clock, the last thing I'm going to do is say, hey, I'm going to take home a 400-page proposal and read it over the weekend. <laughs> Gosh, that's my weekend, mm. Mm. So number one, get it in early because it's got a chance of getting around. Mm. But number two, it also signifies that you're disciplined. Because if you... Okay, let me give another example. If, if, if your presentation, the allocated slot for your presentation is one hour and you take an hour and ten minutes to complete it, mm. the client will tolerate it. They'll look at their watch maybe, and, and but, but they'll tolerate it. But then when you say afterwards that I believe that this project can be completed on time... My privately, what I think is this: is you can't even manage an hour, mm. let alone a year. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that and that goes for all the meetings leading up, the way you behave, the way you've interacted with them, up to that presentation point as well. It's all a proxy. Speaks volumes. It's like to work with you. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So one of the other things we sometimes find is you can be working with a client for many weeks leading up or months leading up to a final pitch. But then in the final presentation, when the decision is really going to be made, they start introducing some new, well, new people who potentially have a vote. Where possible, I, I, I always try and have, uh, make some kind of contact with the client. So I mean, another handy tip I'll often give 
uh, a firmness to say send through any visuals you've got in advance of the presentation and if possible the agenda and if you've got anybody who's in any way friendly or a gatekeeper or has a vested interest in the outcome go into them and say listen this is what we're planning on doing for this presentation just want you to look over it and make sure that you're happy with this content because what they don't want to do is waste your time for an hour Whatever the outcome of this big process, I want to make sure that the time that we spend with you is time that is well spent from your point of view. So send them the slides, mm. have a look at them, make sure you're happy with that, have a look at our agenda, have a look at our key points, come back with anything else you want to add to that. In the case of complete strangers, sometimes happens on public sector bids, when you're walking into a room absolutely blind, I would still build into the process a few minutes at the start when you're setting up your computer or putting your visuals up or getting organized in the room and make sure that somebody who is skilled at these things goes across, introduces themselves to complete strangers and tries to gather something like where are you from, what do you do, what's your responsibility today, and at least have something. What will that allow you to do? At least perhaps provide an anecdote that is relevant to them or mm. talk about something from, you know, the north where they're from rather than the south or talk about, you know, the, the, the procurement approach to this or the cost approach to this if they're from Croc. And whether successful or not, at least what you have done is you demonstrate an attempt to want to connect with them. Yeah. And that they're building a sense of familiarity with you and your organisation, your presentation, what they're going to talk about. Yes. Therefore, they can actually focus on really the content of what you're talking about. They're focused, they're not deciding whether they like you or not, which what well, they will do to a certain extent, but they're focusing more on more, more importantly on the messages you really want to deliver for them. Yeah. So this is a, a really good adage that we, we stick by in all our presentations, never pitch to, never pitch to strangers, always make an attempt to build some familiarity with your with your audience. Yeah, it was true when you're a kid and talk to strangers, and it's equally true as an adult for mm. very different reasons. Yeah. yeah, different reasons indeed. The other thing is, um, I mean, have some discipline around following up. You know, immediately after the presentation, win or lose. Absolutely, I, 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 it's very easy to be celebratory and jubilant about winning a bit. Um, but actually, even when you do win a bit, it's very interesting to go in and find out why you won the bit rather than just be delighted. Because what you'll often find out, actually, is the reasons why the client chose you were not necessarily the reasons that you thought they were. And that can be a very uh, educational uh, and a very useful bit of insight to find out, okay, why did you choose us? We're delighted that we did. Equally importantly, if you don't win it, go and find out what it was that perhaps caused them to choose one of your rivals or your competitors because it might be something that you never thought about or completely missed, uh, or, or, or for that matter, could have done, and that'll be a lesson mm. for the next time. So don't be afraid. And lastly, send people in who are not necessarily connected with the bid, because often clients find it difficult to speak in a very direct and a very honest way to you if you were one of the people that was part of that presentation. And I want to say things that might be perhaps a little personal or a little emotive. It's much harder for me to say that if you're someone that I've already dealt with or of someone course. I already know. So send someone in neutral or even external to gather what is very, very useful data. Of course, one other thing we haven't particularly uh, covered uh, in this podcast is the importance of how well you actually make an account of how well you present yourself. So that one, of the, one of the things that we talk about in our pitching program is that we use the analogy of you, know, you have a great songwriter and you have a great singer, you have a great playwright and you have a good actor, you have a good presentation and then you need a great 
present uh, presenter. So it's not it, it, what we're attempting to do is create amazing stories, create stories that are relevant to the audience, and then tell those stories better than your competition. So it's actually running down those dual paths that really creates the really creates the difference. So whatever you know as much as we talked a lot about the focus of the, the, the presentation and the pitching um, uh, strategies, um, in the 11th hour, if you stand up and your brain sits down and you're mumbling and fumbling and you're not yeah. making sense, you, you, it's going to somehow, you're going to lose credibility um, where it counts most. And the reality is that we pay a lot of attention to what is going on non-verbally as well as we do verbally. So get a coach, find someone to work with, make sure you polish those uh, presentation skills so that you're not detracting from the quality of what you're saying. And that's the thing. It's not about becoming a Mr. Showbiz type not at all. presenter. It's about from being it. able to present in a way which, mm. number one, conveys the message. Uh, in a clear and concise way, but also reassures them that you're the right kind of person to be working with. And that, 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 that's in the realm of presentation skills. So you cannot endorse that enough, is that presentation skills are a separate discipline from pitching. I think just another point that's come to mind is that some people who may be listening to this might be thinking, well, I don't get involved in multi-million pound deals where there's, a, that, that, there's all that uh, revenue at stake. But actually, the practices and the strategies and the skills and the insights apply to any, any presentation where you are trying to persuade and influence. If you're in marketing, if you are uh, in, you know, you're, you've got a role in compliance and you're trying to persuade the organization, uh, they need to think more um, about keeping themselves on the, you know, on the right side of the regulators it's just as relevant. Well, if you're trying to persuade the traffic warden not to give you a ticket or someone in a call centre to put you through you're the right person or whatever, all of these things in, in their own way are, are, are pitch situations. Uh, so it, it, you know, it has a universal application as far as I'm concerned. And it's a life skill. I mean, you know, to, to be able to make good account of oneself, be able to be heard, uh, to be clear, um, to be commanding, to be compelling... If you do all of these things simultaneously, you gain a reputation for somebody that they want you want you to be invited to their meetings. They want to be invited onto onto the project because you've got that all important ability to be able to communicate well uh, when it matters most. So these ideas apply to everybody. And you know, if you want more information on these ideas, please contact us. Find out more information about how we can help you. Whether it's more about presenting on a live stage, uh, whether it's um, uh, helping you win multi-million pound bids or internal presentations or investor day presentations, etc. It's all totally um, relevant. So we talked about a number of things today. We talked about some of the changes that are going on in the business, the importance of being clear in your understanding of the business, being more disciplined around doing the, the, uh, the spade work, making sure you're, you're coming across as a team, not as a group of individuals or experts. Um, practice for the Q&A because that's where you're likely to be more real and really demonstrate through conversations your compatibility uh, with your client organisation. 
We also covered some of the pitfalls, forgetting that every bid is different and making sure you treat each client as an individual, not treading out well-worn stories or wall stories that you use in every other pitch. Thinking about what is particularly relevant to that particular audience. We talked about the importance of failing to address the emotional and political and cultural issues that are actually driving the decision as well as the rational reasons. And the all importance of being prepared, being prepared for the Q&A, being prepared and joined up as a team is absolutely critical. We spoke about the importance of storytelling, the ability to take data and turn it into a narrative, to get someone to go from their left brain into their right brain, to create mystery and to create intrigue and curiosity. Meeting deadlines. In fact, as Ian said, beating deadlines is better. Show people you're prepared, you're disciplined. Never pitch to strangers. Always find a way to contact your audience, make a connection with them, and always follow up to every presentation, win or lose. So any final thoughts from you, Ian? Yeah, I think that the overarching message or theme from my point of view uh, at the moment on pitches is have the courage to do something which is um, a little different, um, but that that difference is a good difference from the client's point of view. I think many people are playing it too safe and then they're not surprised that they're getting fairly predictable results. The firms mm-hmm. that are winning bids are being courageous, they're being creative, and, and they're investing the time necessary to produce what is ultimately a winning presentation. Fantastic. So thank you for spending this time with us on this podcast. We thoroughly enjoyed sharing these ideas with you. Our real wish for you is you go and apply these ideas and get the one thing that really matters, and that is a higher win rate. So very good luck to you and see you next time. Thank you.